Well, good morning. It's really, really good to see you. Yeah, and if you get up, I won't be offended. I know you're going, you're not leaving me. You're, you're going to get your things so That's all good. Hey, we've come to Daniel chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn there. Get ready because we're going to get into it in a second here. But Daniel chapter 4, I've got to warn you, Daniel chapter 4 is crazy. And I'm, I really mean it. The Daniel chapter 4 is mad crazy. And you'll see what I mean pretty soon. But last week in chapter 3, just to recap, get us where we need to be, we saw God... God Almighty put his superiority over everything on display for all the world, for all time, and he had Daniel record the event for us even though he wasn't there. Remember, it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and and these faithful God worshipers were delivered from the king's fiery furnace. That was last week. So today in chapter 4, God's still (laughs) displaying himself, and he's going to display his sovereignty uh, today over the world's greatest ruler at the time. And he's going to do it in an even more remarkable way. You say, what can beat being spared from a fiery furnace? Well, check it out today. And it's a very, very public way of showing his sovereignty. He's going to humble the arrogant king that we've been following along in the first three chapters. It's a complete beatdown, all right? Like no other beatdown, this is the one right here. So chapter 4 begins um, in the first 18 verses and ends in the last four verses with Nebuchadnezzar's own words. He is talking to us today, and God's using him. It's an, it's an autobiographical account of this, of this life-changing experience with God that Nebuchadnezzar had. And into the middle of this amazing experience, uh, it's a a God-awakening event in his life. In in the middle verses is embedded a third-person report report that we we figure that Daniel wrote of of God's indictment against Nebuchadnezzar, uh, his response, Neb's response, and the sentencing that it all comes down, and then his restoration. So that's kind of where we're going today. So let's get into it, because the purpose we're getting into God's Word today is not to understand a little bit about biblical history and what went on and how God works, but we want to be transformed, don't we? Isn't this what we, we long for? When we read God's Word, to be transformed and be molded and shaped more into the image of Jesus Christ? Uh, So let's pray before we do, because as someone said a long, long time ago, when we come and gather together, we're not here to sit, to soak, and to sour. We're not a bunch of pickles, right? We want to be transformed in a different way than that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who placed faith in us, who draws us to you uh, in remarkable ways, each of us. Uh, individually, Lord, it's, it is amazing. We thank you. We worship you. And now we long to hear from you uh, through this experience we read today. And we pray it in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Amen. Chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar to all the people. So he's talking now. To all the peoples, to all the nations, to all the languages, everybody, and he he owns it all at this time, that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. Verse 2, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Did you catch that? Has done for 
Yeah, notice the change here? This is, this is like a total turnaround from when we last heard from this guy back in chapter 3, verse 28, where it was, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who trusted in him and yielded their bodies rather than to serve and worship any god except their own god. And now Nebuchadnezzar speaks of these signs and wonders that he's going to tell us about that the most high god has not done for them, but has done for me. It's pretty cool. Verse 3, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. We sang about that today. And his dominion endures from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar, it looks like he's starting to come around and he's becoming a witness to the faith that he has seen in other people. And many of us here today and watching online, haven't we had a similar yeah, probably less dramatic, as you're going to see, probably way less dramatic witness of how God revealed himself to you. How did he do that? I mean, each one of us could stand up and give a testimony, and they'd probably all be different. How God not only revealed himself to each of us, but how he drew us to himself in just amazing, wonderful ways. When God, for many of us in this room, became not the God worshipped by someone else, but he became our God, became my God. He became your faith. Now, Nebuchadnezzar recalls in verse 4 a time when he has another dream. Remember back, we saw in chapter 2, he had a dream that frightened him. Well, this one frightened him too, and it's in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house, prospering in my palace. Everything was just a normal day, and I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in my bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. And in verses 7 to 9, if, you, if you've read it and read ahead like we've been encouraging you to do, Nebuchadnezzar tells his wise men the dream. Remember before he wouldn't do that? So it's kind of, kind of, kind of weird, but he doesn't seem weir- worried anymore about the honesty of his wise men. Why do you think? Because he's got in his back pocket Daniel. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's like he'll expose any deception that those, these characters might come up with. And we read on that they can't interpret the dream. They hear it, but they, they can't. And they're definitely too afraid to just wing it, right? Because Daniel is standing there. So the king turns to Daniel. Verse 10. The visions of my head as I lay in my bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. And the tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for everybody, for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens grew in its, lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. This is a pretty cool tree. I like to have it. And I saw in the vision of my head as I lay in my bed, and behold, a watcher interesting. A holy one came down from heaven. Wow. So an angel, a created being of our holy God, commissioned to carry out God's judgment on earth. We see this all the way through Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. God says, go do this. The angel, the created being, goes in, does that in the name of God. And he proclaimed aloud this watcher, and he said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit, let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump, 
and its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Now, notice what happens here. All of a sudden, there's a pronoun shift. It's not a tree anymore. Let him, personal pronoun, be wet with the dew of the heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, so it's a man, and let the beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. The text never tells us and explains this length, length of time, but seven in Scripture signifies completion and most ancient and modern scholars have argued that it represents seven years. We'll get into that later. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. There are watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones, they're one and the same. To the end that the living may why that to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest lowest of lowliest I'll get it <laughs> people who are really low of men I feel like Elmer Fudd. So one immediate takeaway that I'd like to share with you all is that this story in the end, is about God. It's about God. In the next two verses, verses 18 and 19, we're told that the dream not only put fear in Nebuchadnezzar, but it really disturbed Daniel, too, who's getting the interpretation from God. As he's hearing this dream, he's going, no, whoa. And Daniel, we read as, we, as you go on, he wished, he desired that he could tell the king that this dream was about the king's enemies, but that's not the case. Daniel sees what's going on here. And notice, please, that Daniel cares. Did you pick that up? He really cares about this sovereign king. You see, we, none of us in this room gets a pass on caring. But Daniel also speaks the truth of God. See, that's what brings balance between the caring and the truth. And for you and I, there's all kinds of applications here, but the one I want to point out that I think is the most important is every one of us, I hope, in this room, if you don't, you will, you will realize shortly that each one of us here today was born destined for judgment. Every one of us. It's inescapable. Hebrews 9, 27. And just as, as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. It's, it's where we're all going. It's what we're all destined to from the day we were born. It's a judgment about which the Bible says the sentence has already been declared. Like we're not going in with our eyes closed if we're listening to what God has to say. Before we even get there, there's been a sentence declared, and it is the death penalty. John 3, 18, 19, Jesus, after uh, saying that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, explains why it's not necessary for him to condemn the world. Why? Because we're already condemned. He came for the answer. Whoever, he says in John 8, uh, 3, 18, whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's, it's a done deal. 
because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That's the only way. And this is the judgment. That light has come into the world. It is here. But people love darkness. People love their own way. People love their own power. People love their own ego. Their own way of figuring things out. And people love darkness rather than the light because their works are evil from the day they are born. And so not one human will escape. This is bad news. It's humanity's destiny. And like Daniel, me, myself, I wish it wasn't so. Say it ain't so. (laughs) I care. I really do. But it's the truth. So like Daniel, each one of us is called to tell the truth. And we'll come back to this later. Let's go on with the story. Verse 22 through 26. Daniel tells the truth and he interprets the dream. So we, we realize that the enormous tree that Nebuchadnezzar sees in his dream is him. Daniel says, it is you, O king. And it's this cosmic tree. Um, it acknowledges Nebuchadnezzar's great power and might and rule over everything, including people and animals and you name it. It's his. And we learned earlier in the book that this power came from God himself. And he allowed, gave Nebuchadnezzar this kind of reach. And that expression here, the cosmic tree that reaches to the heavens, it reaches to the heavens. That expression is not by accident. God is telling Nebuchadnezzar something through that expression. It's an indictment. Do you remember back in Genesis chapter 11, there was this tower? Do you remember? What was it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, this Babel, Babal, Babel, I mean, some tomato, some tomato. It's Babal to me anyway. Okay. It was a tower, and it was built by the post-flood humans who had, uh, through Noah's offspring, begun to fill the earth again, but they gathered on the plain of Shinar, which is ironically, and not by accident, was erected in the vicinity of where Nebuchadnezzar is now ruling. I mean, the connection is too wild. So it was a tower built to what? To reach to the heavens and declare that man was in charge. Humanity is on top of this. It was a monument to man's greatness, to all of our achievements, something to unite humanity around and to mm, give praise and worship to who we are in the universe. It's pretty arrogant. And that kind of pride, that pride of mankind with the tower, inevitably ended in disaster. And so, so does this tree, this Nebuchadnezzar. And so will our present earth that you and I walk on day after day. So the divine lumberjack brings this human tree crashing to the ground. It's cut down. Removes it from its presumptuous uh, place of influence and takes down, it's, it's, it's a lot like the, um, the great rock that Nebuchadnezzar saw in the first dream back in chapter 2. Remember that? And that great rock created by God comes in. We know it was Jesus, and he hits the feet 
of that huge statue which represented the complete world system of opposition to God at the end of time. It's really similar to that, but now it's personal. Nebuchadnezzar, we're also told, will lose his rationality. Like he's going to go nuts. I said at the beginning, Daniel chapter 4 is mad. It's crazy mad. It is. That which distinguishes him and you and I as humans, he's going to lose that. And it says he's going to behave like a wild animal. Interesting that the wild animals are who Nebuchadnezzar had been given control over earlier, had been told he had in Daniel 2.38, and into whose hand God has given wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over all of them. It's wild. The one who thought of himself in God-like terms would become beast-like. He would learn that he's merely human after all. Do you know anybody like that? Anybody who's so self-absorbed, so full of themselves, so full of pride and self-sufficiency, I don't need God, I don't need God in my life, I got this, I got it covered. The stump and the roots are allowed to remain. Did you see that? Suggesting that the kingdom is going to be protected, even though the leader, the ruler, has been removed. So there's this hint of mercy from our God, a hint of mercy to Him, a hint that God still has plans for this, and God always has plans. We don't know them until they unfold before our eyes. So in the next verses, 25 and 26, we're told that this experience would last for a full period of judgment, seven periods of time. That's God's number. It's God's judgment. It's God's timing, whatever it was. In verse 25, Till you know, this could be to every one of us in this room, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, and as it was commanded to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. So back to Nebuchadnezzar's real dilemma that that I, I referred to earlier. And by the way, Acting like an animal and going insane is not his real problem. That's interesting. Many of our, my physical, financial, relational headaches are not the real problem. We make it the real problem because it's so in our face. They're, oh, and they're very, very real. Don't get me wrong. And they need to be addressed and they're part of living. But they're not the big picture. None of this stuff is. I stated earlier that Nebuchadnezzar's problem is all humanity's dilemma. It's our personal dilemma. It's, our, it's, this, it's this coming judgment that we're all destined for. When everybody stands before God Almighty, accused and absolutely guilty with not one thing we can say, our mouths will be shut. This story is not just about an arrogant king and and his eventual downfall. It's about you and me and our pride. So what can be done? Verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to to you. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Okay, everybody? Everybody listening? Here we go. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities and your iniquities 
by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel, a Jew, who believed in the one true holy God, was willing to tell Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan who believed in a very, very different philosophy of life, diametrically opposed to Daniel's, that he should change the objects of his worship. And if he changed the objects of his worship, it would result in a change in his character and how he ruled and how he treated people. It was a way of being that only God can provide the power to be. A way of worship, of true worship, that's been evidenced before Nebuchadnezzar for years by the examples of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's an appeal to repentance. That's what it is. The same appeal God has given to you and I, the same appeal that we find all throughout Scripture. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and Peter, the apostle, said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Nothing's changed. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now you and I, the church, yeah, we're a little different than Nebuchadnezzar and even the Jews in the Old Testament because we've got this special privilege for a very short season of time where we have God's indwelling Holy Spirit until the day of redemption comes. But still, for Nebuchadnezzar, it's still the same deal of repentance. And it's Zechariah 4, 6 where he says, not by power and not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's how things get done. That's how people change. The Spirit of God. It's a repentance appeal. It's a repentance appeal that transcends all time. Over 600 years later, after this dream, in Matthew 4.17, Jesus, the Christ, will begin his gospel ministry for the Father. And he begins it with the exact same appeal. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the point, the point is God provided Nebuchadnezzar an opportunity to repent. God provides you and I with opportunities to repent. God put his mercy on display at the same time he talked about his justice. Did you see that? And if, God, if Nebuchadnezzar would just humble himself, God would not have to humble him further. Even pagan rulers are accountable to the God of the Bible. Every president of the United States is accountable to the God of the Bible. Justice will roll in God's timing. Count on it. So God ordained, and at a great divine cost, he provided the answer to your and my eternal dilemma. Repent of your sin. Acknowledge your sin. Trust in God's forgiveness, His gracious provision for the payment for your sins. A debt that you owe, but a debt that you and I could never pay. Jesus' voluntary sacrifice on the altar of the cross, shedding His blood for you and for me. Romans 3, and 23, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned. See, there's no exceptions. And they all fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace 
as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, an atonement, a covering, an appeasement for our sin by his blood to be received by faith. So Daniel is interpreting this dream for Nebuchadnezzar, and he's, he's hoping that this punishment he's envisioning, this chopping down of Nebuchadnezzar the tree, um, might be averted if he would just repent, right? Get it right before God. Right now, just please do this. Daniel was in Nebuchadnezzar's corner the whole time saying, come on, Nebuchadnezzar, come on, come on. Man, you, really, you need to do this. And don't we, each of us in this room, hope that the, that the punishment declared by God's word on the people you and I encounter and pray for, that we love, might be averted if they would just repent before God? Aren't you in their corner saying, come on, you fill in the name. Fill it in right now. And pray for them. If you're in their corner, pray that they would see the truth and repent of their sin. Daniel urged Nebuchadnezzar to repent big time here. With the result, he said, hey, you do this, and guess what's going to happen? You're going to promote justice in the entire realm. Don't we all want that? And you and I urge people to repent of their sins, to turn to God's forgiveness of their sin debt, and be transformed. We hear a lot about change today, how the world needs to change. People just need to change. <laughs> this apparently is the only way for change. This is it. There's no other secret. You don't have to buy the books on the how-tos, how to change. Don't buy them, okay? It's a waste of money. Give the money to Grace Chapel. I mean, it's just a little dumb, dumb, should have to, anyway. This is the only way to change, like real change. This is the answer to the change question that everybody's hungering for. Any chance of any kind of change in our culture begins with repentance. That's why we're not seeing any change. Because people don't want to do that. That's a humbling experience. So what happened? Anyway, so here it goes. Well, a year goes by, it says in the text, and Nebuchadnezzar is unchanged. God gives him a year. I mean, the patience of God. And you, I'm sure many of you could stand up right now and go, oh, let me tell you about the patience of God. And we've all watched, or maybe right now some of us are watching, even in our own families, this story play out of, come on, why aren't you seeing? Why aren't you getting it? We see this played out too many times. And for some of you listening, this was your story too. It's my story. Verse 28, and all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is, this, is not this great Babylon? So you can see him looking up there. He's got his robes. He's probably got a glass of wine. He's sitting there on his balcony going, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of you idiot, my majesty. 
The view from the roof of Babylon, if you, if you read your history books, like we, we have uh, texts that tell us what was going on, just full of temples, ornate, gold, everything you can think of. And the, uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens, you probably read about those, it's one of the seven, that he built for his wife. He'd be looking at that too. And the outer wall of the city, it was so thick that um, chariots with four horses each could go past each other. I mean, this is like, this is a big deal. This guy had stuff going on. Next verse. And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. So for one of the watchers, right? O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. Oh, my. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to all he will. So Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. And immediately... The word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. This beatdown of Nebuchadnezzar's ginormous ego, his human pride, anticipates the putting down of all human pride that you and I need to shed if we've got any left yours, mine, when, Jesus, when God brought salvation through Jesus Christ. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 1, 26. He says, for consider your calling. Just think about it, brothers. Not many of you were wise. Were any of you wise? When God, God chose you because you were so smart, right? Paul, and Paul's going, were any of you wise according to worldly standards? Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Some have interpreted what happened to Nebuchadnezzar here as a sheer legend. It's, it really didn't happen, you know, because it's so bizarre. However, I've read over and over again, that this condition is known in medical circles as boanthropy. It's rare, but a real mental affliction, a form of insanity where a person takes on the mindset of an animal and exhibits animal-like behavior, even eating grass. It's clinically attested. But even so, God sent Nebuchadnezzar there at his appointed time. He said, that's it. So what happens next? Well, the autobiography kicks back in. So obviously Nebuchadnezzar survived. And he himself tells us the end of his story, but what I love and that is so amazing, he realizes it wasn't his story. It was God's story all along. Listen to this, verse 34 to the end. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honor Him who lives forever for His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It took you a long time to get here, but He got here. And for some of you, you know, right? Some, for some, it's real quick. And for others, it's like, oh my, this is just taking a long time. 
and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. It's like a Job story in, in, in a, with, a, with a twist. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar raised his eyes to heaven and bowed his knee to the ground, and he was restored. God is able to humble the proud, and God is able to exalt the humble. James 4, 6, 10. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. He's talking to believers here, not unbelievers, by the way. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched. <laughs> it's not what you're expecting to hear, is it? Next. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll exalt you. And with that thought, and with that conviction and that encouragement, let's turn to communion. Would you get your elements ready, please? What we do together with the bread and the cup is we symbolize the gospel. We symbolize Jesus Christ's body and his blood shed and broken for humanity if we would but re repent and place our faith and trust in the reality of this symbol, the body of Jesus Christ sacrificed on the cross for us. And we do this together because the gospel is the only thing that unites us. All the other stuff's nice, but it doesn't work. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that works. So we do this together. And God proclaimed it to be done together. Because we proclaim the death of Jesus Christ and look forward to the day he's coming back. So let's take the bread together. And now let's take the cup. Would you rise with me? And let's pray.
Our God and Father, you've humbled so many of us in this room in the past, and you continue to do so. We are amazed. We're thankful. We have a holy honor and fear. God, we want to walk out of here strong and bold, balanced with a a care and love for our families and community that need to hear this this truth. Lord, Lord, in this gospel, in this symbol that you have left for us in uh, communion, we find our unity, we find our humility, we find our salvation. And by your grace, we live out We desire to live out all your purposes. And by your mercy, we know we will experience and have experienced your peace and your ultimate rest. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, amen.